Hello and welcome to the podcast version of Kenya's biggest conversation that's broadcast live every weekday morning from 6 to 10 a.m. on Spice FM. Hit subscribe for more thought-provoking conversations with your hosts Eric Latif, Ndu Oko and C.T. Muga and who's who of an eclectic mix of guests from the world of politics, policy, business and culture. This is a Situation Room podcast. Enjoy. The Principal Secretary in the newly created State Department for Diaspora Affairs, Rosalind Jogu, is here with us in the studio. How we welcome our guests is one way. Rosalind, welcome to Kenya's Biggest Conversation. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. And congratulations for being the first PS for Diaspora Affairs Thank you. It's in the history of the Republic of Kenya. <laughs> it's an honor, truly, and the responsibility is, is heavy and I feel it on my shoulders. Already? It's truly, it's truly an exciting um, opportunity, mm. an exciting time to be doing this work. Okay. Mm -hmm. Let's do a bit of a background. Sure. Who's Rosalind and what motivated you to apply for a job of Principal Secretary? Very well. Um, so I am a lawyer by profession. I have spent uh, the last uh, 15 years of my career uh, working as a lawyer, as an academic, teaching at the university. I uh, do a lot of women's rights work. I have been researching and writing and publishing on this area. I am currently working on a PhD. When you do this kind of work, when you do rights work and you do it from the outside, you can only do so much. And there is a sense of, I can do all the activism, I can write the papers, I can publish them, I can even consult for government. But ultimately, I don't get to make the decision uh, mm. about what happens with that. For example, um, early last year, I helped uh, review the national policy on gender-based violence. Mm. And, you know, you do all of this work and you're excited and you can see all the difference you can make. But ultimately, somebody else gets to decide whether this policy is going to be passed and whether it's going to be implemented. Mm. So this was an opportunity to actually do be, what be I have the been saying. Be the change that you seek, right. have the mandate to actually make the difference that I have wanted to see for a long time. So I said, you know, why not? You and must I have had a preferred ministry or state department when you're sitting there and applying and thinking, you know, this what I'd like to do. Mm -hmm. And this is where I'd like to. Was this it? So, you know, the, first of all, remember, uh, diaspora affairs was not yep. in, um, uh, in previous governments. So this was not a state department that one thought about, right? And one of the things they tell you as you prepare for your interviews is um, if the PSC asks you which state department do you want to work for, um, don't pick one. Pretty much say it depends because ultimately it's the appointing authority, in this case, the president who decides, I think she's best suited for this. I think he's best suited for this and so on. So, of course, being a lawyer and having done the kind of work I have done, I had my ideas about where I thought I could make the most difference. But then, as fate would have it, the president asked me to serve in diaspora affairs. And as I have thought about it, I have felt that that couldn't have been a better fit for me uh, and probably for the State Department. It is exciting. It is new. Um, I am fresh into public service. I, I, and so it sort of comes together. I'm able to, I have lived in the diaspora for, for a little bit. So mm -hmm. I, it was very very um i think it's very well it's a it's a great fit it's a it's match a made in heaven it's a match situation <laughs> yes. where uh -huh. you would caution people that be careful what you wish for for this particular for this particular <laughs> position mm. um i think we're still early in in uh, in the game for me to have become a little jaded yet i'm not i'm very excited about the position mm -hmm. the opportunity is great and i truly i just i'm from chatting with a friend of mine who's asking me how you're doing it's been about six weeks uh <laughs> since you you know you you got the job and i uh, and i told her 
I am having the time of my life. It is an exciting job. The opportunity is great. You know I, I'm loving it. You know why I ask? Uh-huh. When you've been involved in policy formulation, mm -hmm. you've been involved in policy reviews, yeah. and as you say, you wish you were in a position, essentially, yeah. to see these things done. Mm -hmm. Now, actually, when you're involved in that process, you yeah. actually do determine what gets done. You may not think so, but you do. Yeah. Because the decision, yes, you may not be the final authority that's making the decision, mm -hmm. but in the absence of your input, mm -hmm. whether it runs interference or whether it augments whatever is going to be done, yeah. you have had a say. Mm -hmm. But you see now, this one, at some level, the buck is going to stop with you. Yes. Now, that is not necessarily scary. Mm -hmm. Now, it's not scary for you because from just a little you've said, you're somebody who has always taken an interest in having ideas about things. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure when you were told, uh, when His Excellency said, uh, Sister, diaspora, mm. I am sure the activity that started in your head is still ongoing. Yes. Now, we will want you to unpack those things for us and tell us. Our numbers say we have about anything between three to four million Kenyans abroad. Mm -hmm. Three to four. Three to four million. And the and number is truthfully, growing? The number is growing and truthfully that's what we believe are the adults mm. the adult kenyans who are abroad now if you went and lived in you moved to europe um and then you got married and had children if you didn't register those children with us as far as you know when you do a registration of a, of a of a kenyan citizen born abroad then we might not have those numbers yeah so our diaspora numbers might be much larger. Mm. But now the responsibility of knowing that every Kenyan who's living abroad is actually my responsibility. Mm. Then that is, that is heavy for the shoulders, mm. right? So, mm. and, 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 um, and there are many, many things to think about. So sure. not just their safety or their security, but also their wellness and mm. are they thriving? And so it's, um, it's a position that's a little different probably from PS uh, of roads or PS of agriculture, whatever, because it, it, it comes to the level of representation. Yeah. Absolutely. When we first went uh, to the U.S. for the uh, when the president was having the U.S.-Africa summit to meet um, President Biden and have a number of um, uh, side meetings in December, I arrived at the hotel and I found a delegation waiting for me of diasporians and it was a bit unsettling because I, I, I am not a politician but I found myself being received like an MP delegations that come in from Seattle, mm. from Maryland, from different places and wanted to see me because that's why they're concerned they, you are the, you are their person. So mm. that is it. So yeah. I am not just, you know, their peers in the sense of an, an implementing authority or an accounting officer for a particular um, state department. They see me as their representative, representative because in many ways they don't actually have a vote as far as you know the constituency at the county level is concerned sure yeah. i think that gives rise then to this job mm -hmm. um and then what then the f the elements of this position mm -hmm. and this department then mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. are actually supposed to do mm. yeah. so now with the creation of this yeah. department yeah it doesn't take away the fact that folks have been waiting for a very long time for some kind of institutionalism yeah. of this particular office yes. so when you talk about being unsettling i hear you mm -hmm in terms of how life changes yeah. but then also unsettling because of the huge responsibility then yes. that is waiting for you because yes. people are and it's interesting that you talked about then being responsible for kenyan's welfare abroad mm -hmm. not really thought about that in as much as we've been thinking about the things that have been happening 
in the Gulf, mm -hmm. we've been thinking about, okay, having these conversations about, can we regularize this thing mm -hmm. so that people can stop coming back to Kenya in boxes? Mm -hmm. On the other side also, the stories that we've seen in the, in the news and what we know to be the case that Kenyans are also responsible for a good chunk of change that comes back into the country and they're looking mm -hmm. for that representation mm -hmm. leads way then to yeah. this conversation of mm -hmm. what then, Rose, will your office do? Right. So that's a really good question. And the upside of having a State Department created um, is that when, you know, the president does that through an executive order, uh, in this case, he's very clear about what the mandate of the State Department is. So we have very, we have, um, I'm not shooting in the dark. Mm -hmm. It's a six point mandate, right? Um, and the first point is um, the State Department is supposed to promote continuous dialogue with the diaspora. In other words, having conversations, having conversations like this, mm. where the diaspora is listening in and will, you know, send back comments and, um, and tweet and engage us, that's a big part of the job. Mm. So I am on the clock. Um, but secondly, uh, it's mainstreaming diaspora's uh, involvement in national development processes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's many things. Right, so it's their political participation. How do we get increasingly to have the diaspora voting um, within the law? Mm. There was a lot of hue and cry about the last election and how little we were able to get them to vote. Mm -hmm. And there is a decision of the court that says we must, you know, progressively um, include include the diaspora within um, uh, giving them an ability and uh, legal rights to vote. Yep. So a big part of the national development process is political participation. How can we get them voting? Can we at this point begin to have conversations about changing the law that allows uh, them to have digital voting, yep. for example? Can mm. we have mail-in uh, ballots and that kind of thing? These are some of the things the State Department has to pursue. But other elements of national development processes are uh, we are right now working through our budgeting cycle, right? We have public hearings. We had one, you know, last week at KICC. How do we get the diaspora to engage on what the budget process looks like? Law reform. Uh, this is something that's close to my heart. When we have bills in parliament and the different, uh, even at the county assemblies, do they know what bills are there and mm. how can they participate? How can they send in their memorandum? Um, and other parts of national development process could be things along the lines of if we have, uh, right now we have the big tree planting campaign. Yep. Mm. How are we involving um, the, uh, the diaspora in the diaspora in, in, in that? Are they greening? Up? Can we get them to green up a part of, um, of Makueni, for example? So that's just, you know, one, that's literally one vertical mm -hmm. <laughs> in the mandates. So there's a dialogue, there's a national development process. Thank you so much. Um, and then there is um, a third element. You spoke about it is welfare. Mm -hmm. So the State Department is supposed to champion uh, the rights and welfare of diasporans. And for me, this is the most important part of our mandate. If we can secure people's rights and welfare wherever they are, that all the other mandates build on that one, right? So if Kenyans can um, have services delivered to them, and that's passports, IDs, um, you know, government paper, yep. if it can get delivered to them in ways that are fast, in ways that are efficient, in ways that are cost effective, then we are beginning to make a difference, mm. okay? So it's, and, 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 I think I need to say that because we take a lot of flack uh, from <laughs> from the diaspora on this particular issue that our missions don't actually issue passports. <laughs> they don't issue IDs. We, 
we facilitate you another uh, another part of government sent to kenya um, kenya sends back yes and, and mm -hmm. that's you know a completely different ministry and so mm -hmm. on but we work with them and also you know government tries to deliver as one so we take the flag for our you know siblings but so rights and welfare is also things like so before 2010 we didn't have a provision for dual citizenship yeah. mm -hmm. so a lot of kenyans who took up citizenship in other countries lost you know, their the Kenyan, Kenyan citizenship. citizenship. Now they're going through the process of regaining, you know, their citizenship because by our constitution, you can never lose your citizenship by birth. So there's a process of regaining. Um, so how do we go about supporting that? How do we go about? So there's a lot of things under rights and welfare, mm -hmm. but also it's the conversations you're having about migrant workers. Mm -hmm. How do you support migrant workers? How do we make sure um, that Kenyans who are abroad are not being victimized, are being cared for, are thriving and so on? So that's those three are the first part of the mandate. The second part of the mandate is a little more economic and commercial. Mm. And that sort of builds on, you know, the base of welfare. And then um, I talked about engagement, which is a dialogue and the national development process. Mm -hmm. uh, the others are how do we get you to invest and save more? Right. How do we support Kenyans to do that? Now we have a number of diaspora circles that are setting up. We have some issues that we are, we are, we are fixing. But Kenyans are, um, you know, um, putting their savings in circles and doing big projects in Kenya. Right. So that's one. Of, so how do we get you to save? How do we have conversations about um, bonds, infrastructure bonds that are a little more friendly to the diaspora? Are we talking now about uh, dollar-denominated uh, bonds, for example? Are we talking about diaspora bonds and mm. things like that? So how do we fix mm. that? A big part of investment is going, of course, to be setting up a diaspora investment office. Then that helps diasporians with all of the questions that they have. You probably know the story of someone who wants to invest and has sent money home yeah. um, and the money has disappeared mm. or i want to build a house and they have sent money home to a brother um and they get regular photos of the neighbors you know mjengo that's coming up oh, um, of a real house but it's it's, it's not yours exactly mm. right they're so building their own house but not <laughs> building the house that you sent money for to mm. build mm -hmm. exactly so there is so there is that how do we then help with that sort of clearing some kenyans have been abroad so long um that when you tell them you can do all of these transactions on, you know, an easy, they do not believe it. Yeah, like absolutely, easy to, uh, absolutely not. <laughs> right. Um, and so uh, international jobs, mm -hmm. which links back to the migrant uh, uh, labor conversation. Mm -hmm. Our unemployment rate is something like 34 percent mm -hmm. in Kenya. It is unbelievably and unacceptably high. That means for every 10 Kenyans who are old enough and willing and able to work, Three and a half, well, I guess four, are four out, of a job. out of a job. Right. Mm. Um, so how do we help Kenyans get good, safe jobs? And this is something that my office is pursuing very seriously, trying to get Kenyans in good, safe jobs mm. abroad. And then the last one, which is probably the one people hear about first, is remittances. And yeah. that sort of is a natural sort of progression from all of these other things. If you're able to do the welfare the support, the engagement, and so on, then people almost naturally, I'm told, people say, in a gilette too. <laughs> that one just, you know, it just it flows. It just flows. Mm. Yes. Let's take a so break. So that's the mandate. We take a break on that mm -hmm. note. A minute made break. Tell it. This is the Situation Room, the only way to start your day. You've told us the mandate of your State Department. There are mm -hmm. six areas that you need to focus on. Yeah. One that you've talked about is that of 
Kenyans feeling their government serving them mm-hmm. wherever they are. Mm-hmm. Okay, so many of them will complain about that. So my passport has expired. I just want to renew my passport. Oh my goodness. I have got mm-hmm. to find out the nearest consulate or embassy and then it's going to take another long process or any very many other services. Yeah. But primarily, what are the mo- main services that Kenyans seek from their government when they're out there? Oh, that's a that's a good question. Um, and, and it's many different things, and we see that varying across the regions. So if you look at the reports, for example, from our different missions, uh, you will find... Uh, <clears throat> In some places, a lot of what we want uh, from government is emergency travel papers, right? And I think it's important that people know that even if you happen to be, um, you lose your passport or you lose your documentation or you have the old generation passport, even if it's expired and you need to go home, we make it happen, right? So if you head over to your uh, embassy or consulate, we we process emergency travel documents and fairly quickly mm-hmm. right so um we have had processed them sometimes within a few hours or you know a day or so and you're able to travel um so some some of our um missions will have a lot of emergency travel um a lot of them will be you know expired passports for people who live abroad you know for long periods so i want to renew my passport we have um a few IDs uh, being, uh, you know, processed. Um, We have, uh, (coughs) you know, uh, labor issues because, you know, at our missions, we have labor attaches. We have all different kinds of attaches. So so in places where we have a lot of migrant workers, for example, a lot of our work will be heavily um, labor related. So can you help me um, negotiate with my employer? They don't want to pay me. Can you help me get my final dues or my final, final benefits out from my employer? And so on. So we have those particularly in the Middle East, uh, labor attaches are fairly busy mm. um, in other places. So it, it will be different things. So it will be, as I said, a lot of documentation. Sometimes people want sanctuary, um, you know, because something has gone has gone wrong and they need to run home mm. uh, and that kind of thing. Mm. Uh, yeah. So, so in places where we have, you know, one um, consulate or one embassy in large, large swaths of land, then that becomes very difficult for us to get services to people. Um, uh, Australia, for example, or uh, Canada or the US, right? So, you know, lots of Kenyans and spread out you know, across a very large, uh, really, continent yeah. um, with one or two uh, uh, offices to serve them. So so that has been a big problem for us, and we haven't been able to get services to Kenyans, but we have uh, plans. One of the things that we are doing, and we'll be launching this later today, is we are trying to find where, uh, we're, we're trying to establish what particular um services you're looking for and then we're bringing them to you in a mobile in a mobile fashion mm. so you basically get a, a mobile unit that does ids that does passports um and go around we'll start with the us and then canada and then australia mm-hmm. all right so uh, a little bit later today i'll be putting a li- out a link where people can do that registration again we're trying to plan so our what resources. you're doing now with the link is you're like collecting the information yes so that we know like a form yes it's a form basically just let us know uh, in in texas we need you know 200 people need ids in you know in vancouver uh so many need uh, passports and that kind of so we're able to plan our resources but that's just a stopgap measure um what we are really working towards is kenyans wherever they live um within their state to be able to work to um, a, a center where they can have their biometrics taken, 
Um, and then that stuff is sent over, so in the US to DC, and then collected, sent to Nairobi, passports done, brought back to you. So Kenyans will not have to fly from Seattle with the entire family to DC uh, to get uh, to get their pass, you know, their, their biometrics done, and then back, and then wait, and so on. So we are trying as much as possible to bring Huduma um, Machinani wherever you are. Uh, and, and that's something, you know, the president is very keen on um, and has specifically required that I make sure that that is done. So, and, you know, presidential directives have to be um, complied with with military precision. Uh -huh. So that's one of the things that we are trying, we are looking to do. But within Africa, for example, um, our, our South Africa office has a mobile unit. And so South Africa has been able to serve out of Pretoria, um, you know, Botswana, Lesotho, and, 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 and the region just by taking around the, the um, services and so on. So those are some of the things that we are trying to do. We've also, until I think about two weeks ago, to set up a um, an e-citizen account, you needed to have a plus two five four number. Mm -hmm. So now we've worked with the e-citizen team, and now you can set up uh, your account just using your email address. Okay. So Kenyans who don't have a uh, Kenyan number now can access mm. e-citizen, and you know government has gone is continuing to go digital. Okay. So if you don't have an e, can you imagine if you don't have an e-citizen account? There's a lot you can't you can't do. do. Yes. So that's one of the things that we are doing as far as bringing services mm. uh, to people. And we will, we are increasingly, uh, I mean, this is what I wake up to do every morning, to think about how do we make people, people's lives easier? How do we make people, the diaspora's life easier? How do we make people access these services uh, faster in a more efficient, a more cost-effective way? Mm -hmm. Do we know, yeah. mm -hmm. do we have the numbers, do mm -hmm. we know? Where all our citizens who are abroad are. We don't. Okay. <laughs> but we are working on it. Bus. We are working on it. So part so of far, this form is that. No, well. so okay. not necessarily because you see that covers, that only captures those people who are looking for services now. If I have a new passport, I'm not, then you're not gonna I don't need to do that, form. right? Mm -hmm. So, and, and it, that's sort of a piecemeal thing. Um, no, we have so far relied on voluntary registration, but our voluntary registration has been cumbersome, right? So because different missions collect data in different ways. Mm -hmm. So we say, as soon as you get to, um, Go and register, yes, send, yes, register. Do you know if you open your, do you have your passport, your Kenyan passport? If you open your passport on page three, it tells you when you're abroad, as soon as you get there, register with the Kenyan <coughs> High Commission or mm. embassy, mm. okay? It mm. says that. If it's not available, you know, find a High Commission or embassy of uh, an East African country. If it is not available, then, you know, with a UK High Commission um, in, in our country. <laughs> I can see that none of you have ever done that. Mm. Uh, truthfully, I also, you know, um, yeah. have not done it when yeah. I have, when I mean, I have been trouble. away. But, but is it when you want to live abroad or is it when you're visiting? It's when, it, you, land. when, when you, you land. When you land in that country. When, when you, you just land. land. Yeah. When you embassy land alert us. But we're going to make it much easier for you to do that. We're mm. going to make it much easier for you to do And this, let me tell you why this is really important. So far, we've had voluntary registrations and people, you know, it's been cumbersome. We haven't made it easy. We tell you, write an email and then sometimes we don't even acknowledge it. We receive the mission receives the email at least we know okay 20 kenyans have arrived um in germany as students or something like that we have some of these figures but we want to know that latif has arrived um in namibia he's staying at such and such a place and you know why mm. when we have had 
um, crisis, we have rescued Kenyans. Mm. And I do not think Kenyans know this mm. because government does a lot of good work, but Quiet, government quietly. does not talk about it. Mm. So we are like parents. We pay school fees. Do we shout about it? But <laughs> you're expected to pay school mm. fees. You don't shout about it. This is your responsibility. When uh, COVID broke, for example, we evacuated thousands of Kenyans. We never talked about it. In fact, if you check media coverage and that is Kenyans are not being evacuated. Other yeah. people are being evacuated. The Kenyan government does not care. Mm. Blah, 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 blah. We were evacuating people or the government was evacuating people, right? When the war in Ukraine broke, we evacuated students. Mm. We have been in the evacuation business for as long as we've been <laughs> a country. But for that, you need the last week, mm. Last week, I was evacuating people, mm. right? For different reasons, right? So you have Kenyans who are stuck. We've had some serious problems where Kenyans are kidnapped and we have had to get them out of bad situations or have, you know, to stage rescues, things that we will never tell you about, mm. but that Kenyans need to know. I think this is important that Kenyans need to know we actually care that you are in trouble you are our responsibility. The, the fundamental point of the social contract is exactly that. That you have ceded some rights so that your government can protect you. Mm. Right? So, and we do that. We do rescue people. We mm. do come for them when they have COVID so, and so on. So when you tell us where you are, mm. when we know that there are uh, 20 Kenyans in a tiny town somewhere in, uh, in a tiny part, in a tiny corner somewhere in Bujumbura, mm. we know if something happens in Bujumbura and we monitor because our different desks uh, within foreign affairs in particular, mm. political desks will tell us this is happening. Yeah. We immediately know if we have to scramble a jet, mm. these are the numbers that we are looking at. Now we are scrambling a jet, but we are not sure. Mm. We'll scramble a jet, we'll send it, it will pick some people and then you know. Uh, now we are relying know. on you telling us on sure. Twitter or people now finally showing up to come to the mission, to the embassy. So, so I mean, <laughs> I hear you talking about streamlining and I think mm -hmm. this streamlining is one of the big things that yes. we talk about. Yes. Right? We cannot run away from the horror stories that we've heard, mm -hmm. especially for Kenyans who have gone to work in the Gulf. There are many mm -hmm. reasons as to why they mm -hmm. turn up in the situations in which they turn up yes. in. And of course, the blame in many cases cannot all be put on one side. Mm. However, yeah. there's too many occurrences for us not to look at the streamlining issue. Mm -hmm. So it would be very interesting to hear then what the... Uh, plans are mm -hmm. to streamline and regulate these yeah. operations that yeah. take Kenyans to the Gulf specifically because this is where we hear the most of the issues coming from. Absolutely. Not to say that Kenyans who go to other parts of the world don't find themselves in uh, worldly situations, yeah. but we're saying that the Gulf stories have yeah. been they've been too regular. Yeah. And it is clear that there is no regulatory framework mm -hmm. under which Kenyans are going, working in these countries they actually is so so let me tell you about the i'll tell you about the framework and where it is failing um then i'll tell you about pla the plans we have to to deal with with this so um yes we have a lot of kenyans in the middle east okay particularly in saudi in the uae in qatar in kuwait in bahrain um a lot of kenyans are working there and they are different um skill skill level yes so in saudi for example where I, I was last week um addressing some of these things we have anything between a hundred and seven thousand to two hundred thousand kenyans right 
<laughs> our numbers say 200,000 uh, Kenyans in in Saudi mm -hmm. working in Saudi um about 60% of that are professionals right ICT bankers da da da, da that uh, that entire um uh group of Kenyans mm -hmm. and then we have you know housekeepers domestic workers yes. uh watchmen um security people and so on right so so we have had trouble with one segment right largely domestic workers and and the vulnerabilities of being a domestic worker are many and they are intersecting mm -hmm. right so you are there's a race dimension there is the fact that you're a, a woman that comes with certain vulnerabilities uh, there is a fact that you work in somebody's house so there is some sort of isolation from the rest of society um, and the usual social protections that come with working in the market as opposed to working in the household are are not there mm -hmm. Right. Uh, and the way the Saudi arrangement works, for example, is it's a very, we have a, a bilateral labor agreement with Saudi. Mm -hmm. So that's a regulatory framework under which Kenyans go to work in Saudi. Um, and the agreement is um, uh, implemented by the Ministry of Labor. Mm -hmm. Right. So the idea is Saudi sends out a work order. And they have a very they have a system, uh, an online system called MusaNet, yes. where they post out. We are looking for you know uh, ten thousand um, housekeepers. This is the rate, da 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 da, and so on. Mm. And their agents put that out. And agents in other parts of the world now the labor market sources then say, okay, now we want uh, you know I can supply two hundred. I can supply. Then they come out and do their recruitment. Are supposed to do a recruitment. Are supposed to meet the um, the standards. Are supposed to do very critical. A very good pre-departure training. You've used okay. are, you've used three are supposed. Yes, mm -hmm. yes, <laughs> and that for me explains where the gaps have been. Okay, okay, we are not pretending Can that I there are no gaps. Can I stop and take you just a little? Yes, uh, very well. Yes, you see, you lived worked abroad. Mm -hmm. Went to school abroad. That's mm -hmm. it. Lived mm -hmm. worked went to school abroad. Mm -hmm. You couldn't have gone abroad to study if you hadn't met certain conditions. Yes. Now. This gap, mm -hmm. do we have anything within our system that would enable this cadre of mm -hmm. employees to actually have some fundamental training? Mm -hmm. Forget this one of going to settle and then become... So that they are skill sets that somebody actually has. Mm -hmm. So when they go out there, yeah. it's not just... They're immediately qualified. Mm -hmm. Yes, so, so, it's, so yes, it's, it's not... Mm, mm, so that's that's a great that's a great question and that's one of the big things that my office has to do help with accreditation um and that is together with the ministry of labor uh, and the ministry of labor has certain uh, you know uh, institutions we're talking about nita we're talking about the national uh, employment, employment authority NEA, um and so on so they have the infrastructure which needs some tweaking mm. um so that as we are having conversations about and 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 regulating the agents a little bit better mm. and i think that is where our biggest weakness has been sure because we have had um particularly young women arriving in saudia who have not had any training pre-departure training mm. there's the paperboxes that they have but they haven't but had the truth is roles. they were not trained at they all. did not have training mm. and you know it's it's so it's it's and what is this pre-dispatcher training so it's anyway? so it's for it's it's job both job specific mm. but also cult cultural training and you know being exposed to this is what the labor law in in saudia requires okay. for example the labor law uh, when you when you migrate as a housekeeper it's a two-year contract you have a contract it's a two-year contract you sign mm. it you work 
in that particular house because your visa is linked to that particular so that, oh. uh, employer right mm -hmm. it's, a, it's 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 not an open work permit it's linked to that particular contract okay if you breach that contract if you walk away from that contract if you abscond then you're immediately out of status and you're if you're out of status then you fall into the black market mm. and start being trafficked and by trafficked i mean uh, somebody else an agent Adalale finds you, mm. you know, uh, work elsewhere and tells you, in fact, I'll, I'll get Forget you work somewhere else and somewhere else and somewhere else. The problem we have is that a number of these housekeepers don't understand that you actually must do your two-year contract. Right. Nobody has explained this, that you can't walk out of your contract. And Halfway. if you must breach it because, of course, if there is abuse or someone is not paying you and that kind of thing, there's actually a provision within even the Musanet system to do that and walk away and have then your visa transferred to a different employer. But we have failed by not doing that training, mm. by, not, by not ensuring that someone actually understands the conditions under which they can work, they can live, where, you know, to go to, where to escalate for trouble, where to escalate if there is trouble and that kind of thing. So are we saying that those who we've heard the stories about are essentially folks who've fallen off the radar? Yes. Okay. Largely. They've fallen off the radar because once you fall off the radar, then the vulnerabilities that I talk about are just multiplied. Mm. Because now your medical care, for example, is linked to your being in status mm. so you're not able to really access medical care mm. right you're not able now to raise so so one of the things i found when i when we were there i visited the sakan center which is a rescue center it's a shelter it's run by an independent institution that then gets funding from the kingdom of saudi arabia uh from the government mm. and from and they recover some of their money from agents whose uh, clients are now there okay this is how it works if you show up and you have had an abusive relationship with your employer or you're walking away, you show up at the second center, they, they, um, they, they check your records within the Musanet system that I'm explaining. They see if there is a labor matter against you. They give you legal, uh, legal advice, legal aid. They help process it out so that you can get an exit visa. And this is a thing. The other thing that I would want the girls to understand and we must train better is that you cannot leave... Saudia, when you're in that kind of a contract without an exit visa. It's not like it is here. Here, if I am a Ugandan and I'm working and I am no longer happy with my boss, no, I take my bag back. and I go home. Mm. You can't do that. <coughs> in Saudi, you must get an exit visa, which makes it very problematic. So there are Kenyans who can't exit because they can't get the exit visa because the employer has a claim against them on the system. Right. So Sakan helps them actually process, process all of that get the exit visa and actually pays uh for tickets so anybody who is at sakan is on their way home mm. okay so they're just processing them for them to get home so it's not a holding center and that kind of thing so so now what we're trying to figure out and working on is how do we make these systems much more client uh, client facing or customer facing or citizen mm. facing so that we are not just thinking about institutions and so on but if i can take the customer journey as a housekeeper from the minute they bring me from katunzweni or keroka or kirua or wherever mm. and they bring me and i because truthfully there have been some real failures where you just have girls arriving from shags they're given their ticket Passports, their contract yep. and the passport Airport. At the airport. They don't know where they're going. They at the airport. Know. They actually handed these things at the airport. At the airport. So yeah. we, we have we we 
we will need so these failures tighten this are they failures yeah. of enforcement mm-hmm. or are they failures because of capacity is it because of poor enforcement or is it because of lack of capacity by those that are supposed to be enforcing i think it's i, I it, it it might most likely just be an of an implementation or enforcement thing um which is why i'm confident that we'll be able to crack down on it because we have the people we have the institutions we have the mechanisms all right and it can be done we and do we have cartels rosely <laughs> <laughs> do we yeah. do we have mm-hmm. a system that mm-hmm. records mm-hmm. the departure of Kenyans mm-hmm. the destinations mm-hmm. and and what it is that is you're going to do yeah, yeah yes do we, do we have it so, so think about the last time you left the country okay walk through that journey when you went to the airport mm. you went through immigration your mm. passport was stamped we didn't really collect all of that information We collect the information that you have exited. Mm. We can probably triangulate with the fact that there was a boarding pass. Yeah. Okay, issued and you were going to your Certain final destination is London. You know where I'm right? going with this? I I might, I'm not sure. So okay. we, what I what what I'm tell what me I what said. Tell what you think about. Where, where do you think I'm going with <laughs> let me, this? Let me tell you where I'm going with it. So <laughs> government collects information in we have information in in different places. We have immigration for example that tells me x number of people left uh, in february and um these are the people who've returned mm. so i'm able to tell you know how many latif is still out there mm. you could have told us you're going to london and you went through dubai and you went to dubai and you went elsewhere yeah right so we we just know that you exited all right of course there are other parts of government that sort of might know exactly where you are and sometimes we you know um we are able to to get that information but increasingly a big part of getting government going digital is that information sharing and for us for me to be able to see these are the number of Kenyans who've exited they have been out for this long so these are the people who I am responsible for mm. and this is where they are eventually this is what they are doing we're trying to figure out when you're out there What are you doing? So mm. that we able to no, we're not interested in surveilling you. Mm. We just want to know how do we support you better. Mm. So that if we are coming uh to Brussels and we know that there are 30 Kenyans in Brussels who work in IT, uh who are lawyers and who work in banking and there's something interesting happening in banking mm. in Brussels and we're coming would like you to come you so that we so we invite you and we can network a little bit better mm. um so yes that. time oh it's a short time can you imagine that hour goes very quickly yeah the hour is yeah. so thank you very much Rosalie, for coming how do people engage with you i see you're very active on social media the ministry mm-hmm. of foreign affairs and uh, diaspora is actually also very active there's a new twitter handle for that yes yeah, that's uh, at diaspora underscore ke mm-hmm. and that's where you can get you know uh, uh news on diaspora what we're doing what we're working on as we begin to cascade our mandate is that's where you're going to find that uh yes i am uh, you know fairly fairly active on social media my twitter is @roslinjogu um and you also find a lot of our information you know from foreign office ke that's a that's a foreign affairs um handle mm. and all of the different missions have twitter handles that are increasingly getting more active. And more active. so wherever you are 
Um, you can find that. Um, also, our website is being updated and you're able to find more and more information. That's mfa.go.ke. Roslyn Jogo, PS for the State Department for Foreign Affairs. Thank you for joining for us. Diaspora for affairs. Diaspora. <laughs> diaspora Affairs. How about that? You made it to the end of today's podcast. You clearly ooze stamina. Guess what? Just hit subscribe at Standard Media Podcast, Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts from. Our podcasts drop daily. From me and the team, catch you next time. Bye-bye.